Uh, we, we've been in a uh, series called How Not to 2019. Um, I was talking at Maryland earlier today. We were talking about how you can make anything into a verb now. So now 2019-ing is a verb. And pretty soon priesting is going to be a verb. I mean, this is, this is exciting stuff, English language. Uh, the first week we talked about bad kings. We saw that, uh, you know, anywhere that you have influence in your life, you have the opportunity to be a bad king to somebody. And you also have the opportunity to be a good king to somebody. And ultimately, Jesus is the great king, the one king um, who sums up everything that we are in him. Last week, we talked about bad prophets. We saw that uh, anytime you uh, are able to have um, words from God or any, you're, you're speaking on behalf of God or, or trying to figure out what the world is like, you have opportunities to be a bad prophet. And you can wreck stuff. You can make things messed up. Um, but there's also ways that we can live that, are, um, that can make us a good prophets. And uh, this week, we're going to kind of sort of sum up this, this, this series with bad priests. You may think uh, that, that you're not a priest, um, but actually, when Doug uh, was praying earlier, he mentioned, or uh, when he was calling out uh, the truth of who we are in Christ, one of the things he mentioned from uh, Peter is that we're a royal priesthood. Anyone who believes in Jesus is now a member of the priestly class. You are tasked with being a priest. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. And the reason we're in Jeremiah is because if any uh, time in, in Israel's history, we saw how not to do things. It's uh, during the, the, the ministry of Jeremiah. He was the, the, weeping, pro- uh, the weeping prophet. And he, uh, he oversaw the, basically the, the destruction of Israel. And he tried to get people to come back, and they wouldn't. Um, and as a result, things went really bad. And so we're, we're taking lessons from Jeremiah uh, in order to, to see what it would look like for us to be uh, in keeping with, with what God would have us uh, for, for this year. And so the question animating us today, what kind of priesting should we practice in 2019? What kind of priesting should we practice? You may not think of yourselves as priests, but today you will become one. Uh, let's take a look at the text. I just want to be clear. I, I've, I'm, I'm taking the text out of order today. Uh, so we're starting in verse 8. Then we're going to jump back uh, to verse 5 and then jump forward to verse uh, um, 11. The reason I'm doing that is because I wanted to make clear that this is really an indictment of priests, that this section is where Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, is calling out priests. Each of these sections is a discrete unit, so you don't have to worry. We, we are getting the whole thing. But if you're following along in the Pew Bibles or on the back of your note sheets, uh, you'll see that I'm, I'm doing things a little out of order. This is the uh, Common English Bible version. If you, I'm just using it because it's a little bit easier to read. And there are some places where I've made a few little changes. Anyway, uh, starting out in verse 8, the priests didn't ask, where's Yahweh? Those responsible for Torah didn't know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets spoke in the name of Baal, going after what has no value. That's why I will take you to court and charge even your descendants, declares Yahweh. Look to the west as far as the shores of Cyprus, to the east as far as the land of Kedar. Ask anyone there, has anything this odd, this weird ever taken place? Um, I, I haven't, tra- usually a translation of the Torah usually gets the law, right? Um, or uh, in some translations, instruction on the back of your note sheets. Uh, Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, those, those five books are kind of the encapsulation of God's uh, instruction or law for Israel. It's uh, what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to know God and live according to his ways. 
Um, it, it might not be helpful to think of it as like as, as just the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we get this notion that the Torah is like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. There is that in there. But what Torah is really trying to do is it's trying to reveal the nature and character of God. He's trying to, God's trying to show how, uh, how properly to relate to him and how properly to relate to each other. And this has been entrusted to a group of people, the priests. The priests are the ones who are responsible for knowing this and applying it and being careful with it, guarding it. And something's gone very wrong because, look, the prophets are speaking in the name of Baal. So the priests are supposed to be doing something, and since they're not, the prophets uh, are now speaking uh, according to a, a God that's not God, not Yahweh. couple of big games today. Um, I know that you'll join me in rooting against uh, sort of the, the hobbit of the NFL. Um, do you have a picture of the hobbit of the NFL? There he is. If you don't know, that's Bill Belichick. Uh, he, I love hating on the Patriots. All uh, good red-blooded Americans not from Boston do. Um, Bill Belichick, uh, interesting guy. He's uh, one of the greatest coaches in, in history. Also one of the biggest cheaters. Uh, you may know that uh, back in the day, or and probably still, he like you know pays spies to go spy out what the other team is practicing. So then he can go in and just wipe them out, which probably explains the blowout of the Chargers last week, um, which was a, a dark time for all of us. Me- note, by the way, we're going to get out early enough um, to, to see this game. And the reason we're doing that is because last week I specifically asked no one to ruin what was going on in the game after the service because it was taking place while we were here. And I, I'm just going to call out Albert. Albert, raise your hand. No, no, raise your hand, Albert. There it is. Albert failed to follow that instruction. It worked out for the best because by the time I saw the game, I was prepared for the humiliation that was taking place. Uh, but we're not gonna have to worry about that today. Anyway, Bill Belichick, uh, I love you, man. I'm messing with you, man. I love you. All right. Uh, Bill Belichick, he's a cheater. Uh, he's always trying to come up with a new way to beat the, the, and he's always, he's like always bending the rules as much as possible. And I don't blame him for that. His job's to win. He gets paid a lot of money. You don't want to disappoint the people in Boston. They'll burn you to death. They're crazy. So I get that. But there are people who are responsible for keeping him in check. They are the referees. We have a picture of what they ought to be doing. This is from a long time ago when they still tried to keep Bill Belichick in. He's like, ah! I must throw the one ring into the mountain of doom. You don't understand. He does. Doesn't he look like a hobbit? He's a weird looking guy. Just sour. The thing is though, the thing is, if you've watched any NFL football, you've noticed um, over pretty much the entire, uh, Belichick's entire career, that the referees are not really doing their job. Have a little uh, example what that sort of looks like. This is uh, Tom Brady, the, 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 the quarterback. He's kind of like, hey guys, uh, some of the people are starting to notice that you're treating us like royalty. Do you think maybe you could just give us a five-yarder just to make it fair, just so we don't catch? It's awful. The referees, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but they're definitely being paid off by the mob uh, to make sure that the Patriots win. Uh, the referees are not doing their job. Uh, they, they have one job. They're, 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 look, I mean, sometimes you watch the football and the calls they have to make. I mean, the, 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 the rule book must be insane. I don't understand it at all. But the referees do. They're, they're studying. They're, they study the rule book. They know in and out. They have everything that there is to know about the rule book. They have one job. To keep everybody in line. 
Interestingly, God through Jeremiah says the priests have the same job. Uh, this is from later on in Jeremiah, but it's an interesting passage. Uh, this is what uh, the Lord of heavenly forces, God of angel armies, the God of Israel proclaims. You sent letters on your own to all the people to who? The priest Zephaniah. And you said to this priest, the Lord has appointed you priest in charge of the temple, not this other guy, Jehoiada. You are responsible for putting every nut job who prophesies into stocks and irons. That's madman in the NIV, I think they use the word maniac. But it really is, it's as close to, it, to it, you can get in Hebrew to, to, to whack job. Okay? Because being a prophet in the ancient world was a really good business if you could pull it off. And the prophets did weird stuff too. It was almost like performance art. They would do crazy things, like they would like walk around naked sometimes, they would carry stuff. They had, it was very interesting. And they, they were at some point, they, they went into crazy town. And, and what the priests are charged with doing is saying, whoa, this guy's off his rocker. That's not what God says. And I know because I've studied the rule book. Whatever God does, he is not going to go outside of the spirit of Torah, the instruction, the law. I know it inside and out. I know God's not going to. So when this guy over here is telling you, let's worship Baal, let's practice child sacrifice, let's uh, try and get, you know, suffer ourselves. When that starts happening, we know stop. And Jeremiah's looking around, he's like, hey, priests, you punted on that one. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Bad priests fail to correct bad prophets with God's word. This is no different today than it was then. There are so many voices that go on that try and tell us what's what and who's who. And we have to be the kinds of people who can say, wait a minute, that's over the line. That's not in keeping with scripture. That's outside. If we don't have that fundamental orientation, we're not able to do it. And we might start nodding along when the crazy leader guy starts saying really crazy things. Let's go back to the text. This is uh, uh, starting in verse 5, so it's a little bit before our main text, but you'll see. This is what Yahweh says, What wrong did your ancestors find in me that made them wander so far? They pursued Hevel and became Hevel. That's Hebrew. I've left it untranslated. I'll explain why in a second. They didn't ask, where's Yahweh who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness in a land of deserts and ravines, in a land of drought and darkness, in a land of no return, where no one survives? I brought you into a land of plenty. Why? Well, I wanted you to enjoy its gifts and goodness, but you ruined my land. You disgraced my heritage. Uh, Hevel is the Hebrew word, it's usually used to, to mean vapor or mist. Uh, it, gets, it gets metaphorical, though. It gets used a lot in, uh, in the Old Testament. One of the, the most interesting places is in uh, Ecclesiastes. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may have heard, um, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. That's an old New King James way of translating this word, hevel. Hevel, hevel, all is hevel. It means nothingness. It means ephemeralness. It means worthlessness. It's something that's there, and then it's gone. Notice the logic of this text. God God is saying, hey, guess what? My thing was, I'm I'm God. I'm Yahweh. I deserve to be worshipped. I'm great. If you love me, you should love me. I'm majestic. I'm amazing. And here's the deal. I, I have good things for you. 
That's what I want. I want to do good things for you. I wanted to bring you into the land so that you can enjoy it, a land of plenty, gifts and, and goodness and, and, and greatness. has nothing to do with uh, your performance. Whatever. I just want you to worship me and I have good things in store for you. What happened in Israel is that the people, because of their bad priests, ended up pursuing Hevel. They went after things that were, were worthless, ephemeral. They were, they were nothing. And, and then in, the, in, that, in that pursuit, they themselves became nothing. It's probably talking here about idolatry, about, about worthless idols. In the ancient world, if you, uh, went, you, you kind of went after gods that sort of like were into what you were into, right? So if you're into like being an awesome warrior, then you should, you know, worship and patronize a warrior god. And then presumably you'll become a good warrior. If you're into sex, then you should probably go after a fertility god because then you will be fecund. Is that how you said that word? Fecund? Fecund? Bountiful. Uh, if you are a, uh, if you're into crops, then you should probably go after, you know, a, a crop god, a, the rain god, whatever. And then, and then you will be a person of, of a lot of, of crops. What Israel started to do is they were looking after all this stuff that was, that was really for them. And they stopped looking after the God who is just God. That's the bad thing about Yahweh. Yahweh is not a God of anything. He's the one God. He's not like a, he's not a rain God, a storm God, a fire God. He's not any of that. He's, he's the one God. And so chasing after God, chasing after Yahweh, the only reason you do it is because he deserves it. Because he is majestic and awesome and wonderful. Because he is true God. That's why you pursue him. But that's no fun. Nobody likes that. That seems boring. Much better to pursue a God that can get me the stuff I need to become the kind of person I want to be. And when you pursue that, that ephemeral, that, that, that vapor, it looks so enticing. It looks so good. And then when you finally get there, you realize that you are empty. One way you could translate this, they pursued emptiness and became empty themselves. Worship became about me. Worshiping God or the gods became about getting what I need. Maybe some of you are here, you've, uh, you've been church shopping, or you, you are church shopping. Do we have the church shopping thing there? Yeah. It's a new thing, church shopping, invented by capitalists. Uh, I'm not knocking this, I really am not, because, you know, the thing is, it's true. Like, we go around, we're looking, um, presumably, like, we have needs that need to be met. I get that. Um, I'm not, and so I, I think there are probably people here who are like, I'm here. One of the one of the reasons I'm here is because you know we I know that my kids are safe and they're learning the Bible, and that's really important to me. Some people are here because, um, especially you know, hearing the music today, you're you're here. You, you know, you, music's really important to you, and it makes you feel a certain way, and so you come because you want to feel that way, and it's important. It helps you connect with God, right? And that's a good thing. Some people are here because um, the leader guy uh, makes me laugh, and I like to laugh, and 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 that's important to you. It's important to be sort of you know entertained while you're listening about about the Bible, and so you come for that, right? And and these are all. I'm not knocking any of that. I think it's super important for our needs to get met. However, here's the dirty truth. It is now a billion-dollar industry for people to figure out 
what spiritual consumers are looking for and turn churches into exactly that so that they'll get what they need. The dirty truth is, is that um, the priests of today are very much interested in making sure not necessarily that God gets worshipped, but that our needs get met. Because we found out statistically that's a really effective way to fill seats. And I'll, I'll be, I mean, I'm, you know, just put it out there. It's not, it's not as though the staff, we, the staff, we, we, when we talk about what we're doing at church, we really do want people to be connected and, and to feel like family here. We really do want to have engaging, transformative worship. We really are after messages that get, give a place of a possible repentance and rethinking and coming closer to Jesus. We do want transformation. We are about those things. But it is really easy. It is really easy to get rock up to that point and say, oh, maybe we could just skip over a few uncomfortable things. We wouldn't want anyone to be too riled up. Maybe we need to tone down the focus on, on God because he's invisible. Maybe we need to focus more on, you know, needs getting met. The difference between a good priest and a, and a bad priest is that bad priests fail, and this is the next thing you're noting, bad, bad priests fail to direct people to uh, proper God-centered worship. Um, and this is, again, I remember, holy priest, a royal priesthood, uh, we all of us are responsible for this. We all of us are responsible for making sure that it's not about me, that it's not, that it really is about God. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially um, in a culture where we've been conditioned to be consumers. Everywhere we go, we're looking for the advantages. What's this going to do for me? Can I get a better price? It's like I'm just waiting for Amazon to have like a, you know, one of those lightning deals on the TV I've been looking at. I, I think like that. And we think like that. And that's, you know, that's who we are. It's what it is. But if we want to be good priests... Our worship and our reason for being here has to ultimately, at the core, be about God, not about us. This is uh, maybe my favorite um, literary um, portion of the Old Testament. This is uh, verse 11 to 13. Has a nation switched gods, though they aren't really gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glory for what has no value. Be stunned at such a thing, you heavens. Shudder and quake, declares Yahweh. And this is, I love this verse. My people have committed two crimes. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have carved cisterns, broken cisterns, that can't hold water. It's, a, it's an arresting image. Um, the switching of gods, of going after Baal and Ashtaroth and, and the other gods of, of the area. Um, Jeremiah compares it to uh, leaving a, uh, a spring of living water and going after broken cisterns. Uh, Jeremiah's prof uh, his, his work primarily takes place in Jerusalem. He's a Jerusalemite. 
Uh, in fact, in 2012, uh, we, well, not we, but I, I wasn't there, but I saw a picture of it. It's right here. Uh, some archaeologists excavated the very first um, time we found a large cistern underneath Jerusalem. Cisterns, uh, the way that Jerusalem works is Jerusalem has a whole lot of groundwater underneath it, a lot of limestone, and then a, bu- a bunch of groundwater beneath it. What uh, the, the Jewish people did is they began to like carve out underneath the city these big wide rooms, um, kind of, out of out, like out of the, the rock. And then they would, um, they would and find water, and then the water would fill up these cisterns, these big wide rooms. In order to keep the cisterns airtight, they had uh, like a lime paste that they would like sort of spackle kind of around the, uh, the side of, of the cistern. And this was such an effective way of making sure that fresh water was available that um, in all of the times that Jerusalem was laid siege to, all of the battles that took place there, even when it was sacked, the one thing the Jews never ran out of was fresh, clean water. Because they had just, I mean, we're only now really getting the, 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 the lay of it, but just tons and tons of these caverns right underneath their city. Notice, this is water that human beings have carved out for themselves. And it's uh, not super dependable. Um, not, not, well, not yet, Marilyn. We'll get there in a second. Uh, the, these cisterns, when a crack occurred, because they were sort of artificially created, the, the water could drain out. Um, and they, could, they would lose that water if they weren't careful. And so they had to constantly be like, attending to it and working on it. That was the, uh, the second source of water for ancient Jerusalem. The first source is the Gihon Spring. And that's this picture right here, Marilyn. In fact, um, probably the reason that Jerusalem was settled where it is is because Jerusalem is up against this mountain, and uh, the mountain has a place where, where water, a spring, comes out of the rock. This is the Gihon Spring. Um, it, it's natural. Nobody made it. In fact, when people found it in this arid, dry land, they were like, this is a really good place to settle, and it makes it a, a good reason for God to set his, his, his house there because it's, it's fed by a fresh, living spring of water, and there's nothing you have to do. It's just there. It's just for you. Over time, uh, the, the Jewish people actually sort of manipulated it. They, they kind of created some aqueducts uh, to save it, and I, can, I have a little... Um, sort of a map of how this worked. Uh, so if you see, you can see Jerusalem's kind of up um, on, on a hill. The, the Gihon Springs up here, and then they directed the water down. It originally did this on its own, but then they had to like fix it as they built up the city. And eventually it gathered at the Pool of Siloam, uh, which you may recognize uh, as a name from the Gospels. Uh, some of Jesus' ministry takes place there. This spring was there. The Jews had nothing to do with it. They didn't create it. It was God's gift to them. It was a beautiful thing that fed them. And really, they all, that's all they needed. They'd have been fine. But you know, sometimes it's nice to have an insurance policy. During the rains, uh, my, the, my office back there just got soaked. And uh, I don't know how expensive it's going to be, um, but I'm not worried about it because Dustin and the finance committee, they keep our insurance premiums paid up. So it doesn't matter. We'll hit that deductible and it's going to get fixed. Whoopee, zippity doo da. The cisterns that uh, the Hebrew people dug or carved out of rock um, below the city were their insurance policy just in case the living water of the spring dried up. 
Similarly, the, the other gods, the gods of war, the gods of, you know, lightning and fertility and all these, they were sort of like a backup. Just in case the blessings of the one God dried up. And it was the priests who gave their stamp of approval that said, sure, just a little bit of child sacrifice, just, just a little bit of sacrifice to these other gods, just a little bit of these bizarre sex rites, that, um, just a little bit, just to make sure that we're okay. And, and what happened then is that the people, um, they started going to these cisterns for spiritual satisfaction. They started going to these things, these, uh, these other gods, and this is where they're going to get their safety. This is where they're going to get what they need. They go into these cisterns. They, they've let go of that living water. And what they find is they go up to these cisterns to get uh, to Baal or Ashtaroth or whoever, and, 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 they're, and they're praising and worshiping them and, and trying, to, trying to fill themselves up. And what they find is that when they get to these cisterns, they're empty, they're, they're dusty, they're, they're dried and cracked. And the water that they thought was going to be there is gone. Because the cisterns that you make with your human hands, they're not as strong and not as safe and not as secure as the living water. Next thing in your note sheets um, is that the, uh, the bad priests fail to protect people from soul-parching idolatry. Soul-parching idolatry. And so now, here we are, uh, really, 2019 is just kicking into gear. Um, I'm super excited, actually. Uh, you know, next week, we're going to have our annual meeting. We're having baptisms next week. Super exciting. We're, we're beginning the year on this mo- moment of like, wow, anything's possible for this year. It's so cool. And I can't wait. Uh, next week, um, we'll be in Jeremiah still, but I'm going to be sharing uh, some of the ways I really believe God has, has been like blessing this church and getting us ready and and charging us up for powerful ministry. So I'm excited about that. But before we get there, we've got to make sure that we're not bad kings, bad prophets, and bad priests. If we're living in that way, then we, why would God unleash those blessings on us? There's probably other people who are a little more faithful. And so uh, in order to, to, to just set it in your hearts and, and set it in my heart too, uh, just a couple of questions, just a couple of questions to take home with you um, to, to do a little inventory. Am I, am I bad priesting? Am I bad priesting? And so um, the, first, the first question, am I a good grader? If you can't see, there's like, that Bible is like, it's like a dusty Bible. And like, it's like, read me. Someone wrote it, kind of like the cars where they're dirty and you say, wash me. That's cute. I hate grading. It's no fun. Um, mostly because I just, I'm not that interested in what my students have to say. Uh, I'm just kidding. A lot of good ideas come from those whippersnappers. Um, no, really what, what bothers me about it is because it's like, it's so tedious. You know, you have to go through and be like, oh, really? You missed that? Come on. And sometimes you have to get really deep. Be like, well, but did you consider this? And that's a big one. That's a big one. A lot of students, they've got it all figured out. They've figured out the theology of atonement, whatever. And, and that question you have to like throw, but what about this? If you were really familiar with the scriptures, you would know that we need to worry about this issue. 
But the thing is, you're not that familiar with scripture. You're not that familiar with who God is and what God is like. And as a result, you're not thinking along these lines. When I say, am I a good grader? What I'm, what I'm asking us all to think about is when we're being bombarded with ideas about who God is, what life is supposed to be like, and they're everywhere. It's all over the place. When we're being bombarded with those, do we have that, that, the ability to take out the red pen and be like, but what about this? And, and hey, wait a minute. I don't know if you remember that. Because if you, if you don't have that, that, that sort of in the back of your head, easy to access, like, like really deep kind of understanding of what the world's like, you, you, you just, you'll write anything and expect to get an A. Um, and, and while we're on that, like, you know, part of the issue here is it's like, you know, some of you are like, it's the leader guy's job to make sure that we read the Bible right. Cool, thanks, I get that. Um, but, but is it? I mean, it is. Like, I, I do have a responsibility and whatnot. But, but this is a team effort here, church. I mean, this is not just like, you know, we come and do our thing and then we leave. This is, this is everybody's got to work together. And moreover, I can't be there every time your kids come up to you and ask you a question about whatever. I can't be there when your client at your work who is doing their thing comes to you and asks you about this because they know you're a Christian. I'm not always there. The elders aren't always there. It is incumbent on us to be the kinds of people who can have something to say, who are well-versed well enough in Scripture to get there. And if you're not there, it, here's a, we have a couple. Uh, so uh, Bill Koblenz and uh, Gary Coleman both lead uh, CBS, uh, Community Bible Study Groups for men. We have, several, um, we have several Bible studies for women. This is something that takes place over time. It's not something you get like one day and then bam, you're there. It, but find a place here. We've got opportunities to be formed so that you can start to get the big picture. And if you have the big picture, you'll be able to, to like, there'll be that itch like, wait, that's not right. I'm, I'm confused about that. And that's when real conversations and that's when real uh, bad prophets get called out. Next question. Am I making worship about me? And for most of us, the answer is yes. And for me too. This is a natural human thing. If there's one thing that human beings love to do, we love to worship ourselves. We love to seek after our own needs. This is not a slam on anybody. This is not an attack on you. This is not, especially if, if you're church shopping, this is not like saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's important. It's part of life. I mean, we live in a world where there's like 12 billion churches around here. There's small churches. There's big churches, medium-sized, you know, there's house churches. There, every kind of church. I mean, it's all that. And so, yeah, you do have to be discerning as you're trying to figure that out. But here's the question. Is the question ultimately, at the core of myself, am I in church because I need this? Or am I in church because God deserves to be praised? And for all of us, at a certain point, we've got to get to that place where we're here because God, the beautiful, majestic, saving, loving God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ, who gives himself for the sins of the world, that God deserves to be worshipped. 
that God deserves to be magnified. Last but not least, what's really quenching my thirsty soul? I'll tell you, from personal experience, I do agree that a filet mignon, medium rare, with crab on top, bernet sauce, and a couple pieces of asparagus is pretty close. It's like right there. I agree with you. An afternoon, watching the sunset, catching a few waves, pretty awesome. I agree with you. Being in love, having someone that you can share your life with and be a partner and a friend. I agree. I don't agree. I think exotic sports cars are stupid. But a lot of you are into it. And that's fine. You do you. But the thing is, if, if that's where we're going, really, ultimately, if that's where we're going for, for the, the water, one day you're going to dip your hand in and you're going to come out and there's not going to be anything there to drink. There's only one source that is endless and alive. There's only one place where genuine peace, genuine redemption comes from. And that is Yahweh God, who's manifested in the person of Jesus Christ and who is present to us now through the the work and activity of the Holy Spirit. If you are not quenching your soul on that, on him, no matter how much it's worked in the past, at a certain point, you're going to go in and you're going to see the cisterns are cracked, the water is gone, and your soul is parched. So that's it. Priesting for 2019. Let's be good priests. You know, we're going to close here uh, with the song, uh, How Great Thou Art. And uh, it's, it's fortuitous that it was chosen because the whole premise of this song is that God is big enough and strong enough and holy enough and good enough and amazing enough that, w- that he deserves our love, our worship, and our devotion. Let's pray. Gracious God, we um, confess that you are the spring of living water that you deserve 100% of our attention and our devotion. That it is incumbent on us to know you and to, to know about you, to, to know your story inside and out, to be awed by it, to be enthralled with you. That we should not look to other things and other gods and other experiences. Instead, God, that we should be satisfied with you and you alone. May Coast Bible Church be a church of good priests in 2019. May we lift your name up, magnifying you truly. And may we see the way that you use us to bring your redemption, your true and real justice, your love to the world. You are a good God and we love you deeply. Thank you for Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen.